Thank you. Uh, thank you for letting me come. It's a privilege. It's always, it's really good for my heart to see how big the church is. I think I get in my little bubble and just see it as me and my friends or my church, local body, and it's just been really good for my heart to be a part, and I really enjoy worshiping with y'all. Y'all got some hype. I love it. Covenant, we're real stuffy. This is great. And I'm pretty, I'm pretty, like, I like the dance. Like, we listen to a lot of black gospel in my house, so we're, this is great. I've enjoyed it. Thank you. Um, so we, uh, we're going to veer away from the parables a little bit. Um, and this is something because I, I've been thinking about where we are in the world with uh, culturally, right? Where everybody's kind of moving out uh, of the isolation we've been in um, and moving more towards relationship or maybe not more of like kind of staying in our, our huddles. Um, but things are changing. And as I think about that, I think about the how important corporate worship is, you know, and how important community is. And so we're going to look at a passage in Philippians 2 and really look at what is life together meant to be, what really brings true unity in the church, and what, what is that, where's the power of that come from, and what does that look like? And so just to set up the context before we read Philippians 2, verses 1 through 11, um, one of the things uh, Paul is getting at is he's, he's challenging the church in Philippi. To, to think about what it means to be one in spirit, one in mind, and striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. And really what he's getting at is like, once we are one, when we act as one, one body, this is not just for our coziness and our comfort, but it's actually for a purpose, to go out and show the glory of Christ. And so he's really calling them towards unity for the purpose of worship. Um, so let's read Philippians 2, 1 through 11, and then we'll pray together. So, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves." Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves that is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but empty himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Let's pray. Father God, um, we need your spirit desperately to do what your spirit does, which is take your word and move it out of ideas or concepts or just words on a page to life-changing truth into our hearts. Pray that you would speak 
now through me, that you would make your word clear and changing to us. And we pray this. And also, Lord, make yourself known. I pray that as we look at this beautiful hymn, not only change us, but, but show yourself to us in a way that is beautiful and new. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm a big Seinfeld fan. Um, many of y'all may have watched Seinfeld. And there's a particular episode that is like quintessential George Costanza. So I assume some people, we all know about Seinfeld when I say George. George is, a, is the guy on the show that is just the most quirky and awkward. And he kind of like makes everybody else look normal, um, which they're really not. Jerry's really the normal guy, but everybody else is weird around him and exotic. Um, so... So this is a scene, it's the, the episode, if you want to go watch it, is called The Opposite. And it's a scene where they're all in the diner together, and it starts, George has been in the, at the beach, like reflecting on his life. <laughs> I just pictured George staring off into the abyss. And he comes in all disheveled, and he sits at the diner with Jerry and Elaine, and they're just looking at front of him. And George looks down, he sits down, kind of plops in and says, everything in my life is wrong. Everything I do is wrong. It has all been wrong. Everything I eat, everything I wear and say is wrong. And so they're looking at him like, what? George, Jerry and Elaine are like, okay. And the waitress comes over and they all order food and they all have their normal orders. And then it gets to George. And George decides to order the total opposite of his usual order of tuna. Instead orders chicken, salad, and tea. <laughs> it's like, what? And Elaine looks at George and says, right after he orders, and says, that woman over there, she just looked at you. <laughs> and George says, Elaine, bald men with no jobs, no money, who live with their parents don't approach strange women. <laughs> Jerry says, here's your chance to do the opposite, George. If every instinct you have is wrong, then the opposite would have to be right. <laughs> so George says, Yes, I will do the opposite. I would regret it and sit here, but I will do it. I will go talk to her. <laughs> so George goes over to talk to the woman sitting at the booth across from, across from him. George goes, she's kind of sitting there, kind of doing her own thing. And George taps her and he says, <clears throat> excuse me, I couldn't help but notice you were looking in my direction. And the lady says, you order the exact same lunch as me. And George pauses for a second. Then, then you can see him kind of deciding, what am I going to do? And then he goes for the opposite. And he says, my name is George. I am unemployed and I live with my parents. <laughs> and she says, I am Victoria. Hi. <laughs> and that's where the scene kind of ends. But you see in this moment, George does the opposite. And by doing the opposite, by giving up self-protection, by choosing vulnerability, he finds relationship. He finds connection. And this is what Paul wants us to hear. By choosing, giving up self-protection, by choosing to do the opposite of what makes us comfortable, by looking out for our own good, to looking and appearing like we got it all together, by choosing to do the opposite, by considering others more than ourselves, by choosing vulnerability and weakness, we will actually find unity and connection. And that's his whole purpose. And this is really tough for us to think about. 
Because when somebody asks you how you're doing, what this means is instead of answering how busy your life is, which is what I typically do, how are you doing? Well, I've been doing this, 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 this. Like instead of answering that, how are you doing? We have to answer it with the truth, like with what's really going on, with maybe I'm really scared today about what's coming up with me and there's something going on, I'm going to a doctor's appointment, or I'm really anxious because of what's going on with me at work, or actually I'm, I'm really lonely and I don't even know why, or uh, I've had a rough week, I'm not doing well in my marriage, or with my kids, or I'm really angry. Like to, to move towards connection and unity, we have to give up self-protection. Or this is one that convicts me, when I walk into a room what I typically think about is what is going to make me the most comfortable in this room? <laughs> who do I have to talk to? Or who am I going to talk to that will make me feel the most safe? But instead, what unity will happen is giving up, thinking about myself or self-protection. I'm going to have to walk into rooms now and think about who can I serve? And that's what Paul is calling us to. He's saying the church will be unified, not when we say the right words, when we agree on the same mission or the same theology or when we get the right leadership or pastor in our church, or when COVID ends, unity is going to come when we give up self-protection and pride and consider others more than ourselves, when we are of one mind, counting others more significant and looking out for others' interests. we got to be willing to do the opposite. What is our hope for real life together? What is our hope for unity? The world around us would say, say what we're supposed to do is think about our own interests, reputation, fulfillment, satisfaction. You know, self-denial is pretty out and expression and individualism is in. So just do you, right? And then you'll everybody, if we all could just do you and we're okay with that, then we'll have unity. And actually that doesn't really work. Um, if you play that out to the fullest, it probably looks like C.S. Lewis's depiction of hell in The Great Divorce, where everybody's on their own, doing their own thing in silos across the world. But our, what our real hope for unity and life together is going to look like, it's going to look like Jesus. And so we're going to look at two points of what, of what this means for us. So to really do life together, to have this unity and selflessness, we're going to look at the path of Jesus, the path for our unity, which is the first thing. And the second, where's the power for this unity come from? Where are we going to get this? Like, we can get it. What does this path for unity look like, this selflessness, and then the power? How do we, how do we live this out? And the way this is going to kind of work in our passage, as you, if you're following along, we're going to look at the second half first, um, and then we're going to come back to the top So for the power. So starting with verses 5 and 6 through 11, we're going to look um, at the path for our unity. And my prayer for us is that we begin to see in this passage how beautiful Jesus is. And that's really what can impact us here. And so Paul's kind of linchpin in his whole argument about what, where does this oneness of mind and heart come from? It says from verse 5, have this mind that is yours in Christ Jesus. So have the mind of Christ. So what is the mind of Christ? What is this path that Jesus lives, this unity path um, that he's called us to? And so we're going to walk through verses 6 through 11 for a little bit and see what this looks like. So verse 6. This is the path. It says, Who, though he was in the form of God, did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped. So Jesus, this path of unity comes with giving up for grasping. That's this biblical word here, to not grasp, to say no actually to ourselves that want to grasp for safety and comfort. 
Because this is, a, this is an awesome, beautiful passage to meditate on and look at Jesus. And we see here a lot about who Jesus is. Jesus was the form of God. He was 100% God. That means the one whose glory was on Mount Sinai, and it was so terrifying to Israel that they like said, please go away, Moses, go talk to him. That same one became human. He was 100% divine. The one that scripture says, by him, all things hold together. The one who holds the whole world in his hands is the one that, that said no to himself to limit himself to become, to become a human that smells, that sweats, and that bleeds. That's what it means to, for, to be selfless. He gave up all his rights. The one who had the right to assert himself gave it up and wave them for us. Imagine um, the, the tallest person you've ever known. And I actually looked this up because like, who is the tallest person in the world? It's, it's somebody who's eight foot two, which I can't even imagine that, right? Eight foot two, I can imagine a six, eight person maybe, seven foot, but eight foot two. Imagine the tallest person in the world. This is, I'm trying to get our heads around what this would be like. Eight foot two person getting, and I always think of the Christmas story where he gets on that coat, you know, that big snow coat, and he's like just huge and he can't even move. An eight foot two person putting on like seven different layers of coats, right? And then try to take that kind of person and cram them into a two person electric smart car, right? They just, they wouldn't fit in there, right? That, that's the, this is the image of what we're trying to get out here. God, God himself took all his glory and power and splendor and limited it to become human. He put it all into himself. And this is what's so crazy. This actually blows my mind when I really think about this. On Christmas day, right? The very first Christmas day when Jesus was born, God gave himself a gift, which was a human body. And this wasn't a temporary gift, like the kind of Christmas gifts I give my kids that break in 20 minutes. This is a Christmas gift that God gave himself forever. Forever. God, Jesus, is a human today in heaven. Like Acts 1 says, he, he's, going, he's going away right now, and he's going to come again just as he left, which means he is still in bodily form, right? Still has his scars. He's actually sitting at the right hand of God interceding for us. He has limited himself forever into a humanity form. And he's done this for us so that we could be one with him, so that we could have him. So what is this path for unity? It looks like selfless, it looks like taking all of our, our resources, all of our gifts, all of our um, power, success, our, everything we have, and being willing to limit that and say no to ourselves for the purpose of others, to serve others, to bless others to using my, my money, my influence, my time, my resources for others. And it's not just saying no to our privileges to bless others, but it's actually saying no to our pride, right? Saying no to um, the part of us that wants to look good so that we actually might appear weak and needy because Jesus became weak and needy. He depended on the Father to provide for everything for him. So we have to ask, are we willing to make ourselves weak for others? Are we willing to need people sitting next to you in here, in church? Are you willing to ask for help? 
Because that's what makes the church united. That's what makes a church for non-believers to go, what is this community that serves this God that is so beautiful I want to be a part of? So his humility is something that he said no to, or his, his glory. But he also said yes to something, right? He said yes, and this is what verse 7, he emptied himself, right, by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. He took on incarnation, which we've already kind of said. But this wasn't just a one-time thing. This wasn't a one moment where he just became incarnated. His whole life was a downward trajectory. Jesus' whole life was saying yes to service all the way. The sovereign master of all became the servant of all. The one who was really a somebody put himself in a position to be a nobody. He was the man of sorrows. The one who, if you looked at his form, there would be nothing attractive about him. He took the form of a servant. And if we think about this, like what did Jesus really give up and say yes to, right? Like let's, let's get real think practical here. And there's a couple of things I can share with y'all. He said no to his favorable relationship to the law, right? Jesus was perfect, sinless, perfectly righteous, right? He gave that up to become a curse under the law. God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. He gave up perfection for guilt for us. We all like sheep have gone astray, each of us to our own way, but the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He said no to his riches for our poverty. Jesus, the whole world is his. Like there's no square inch in all of creation that Jesus doesn't say, this is mine. That's what Abraham Kuyper says. I love that quote. He, he has everything, but he gave up all that up to live a life of poverty for us. And if you think about the gospels through this lens, it is, it's wild because he borrowed everything. He didn't have anything. He borrowed a place for his birth, a house to sleep. He borrowed a boat to preach from, an animal to ride on, a room in which to institute the Lord's Supper. And finally, he borrowed a tomb to be buried in. He had no places to lay his head, not even a pillow. He lived a life of service. He gave up his riches. He could have immediately called on angels to give him anything he needed, but he gave it up. He also gave up his glory for earthly shame. He, he gave all that up. He became rejected, and even by his own disciples who rejected him, so that he be, could become a servant and be shamed and mocked and ridiculed on the cross. In this downward line, as verse 8 tells us, he humbled himself even to the point of death, death on the cross. And even the story of the, of the last hours of Jesus is darkness. It starts with ridicule, scorning, darkness, and more darkness and more darkness. It gets worse and worse. And one commentator puts it like this. Here the way and the truth and the life becomes dead, and the eternal word himself is reduced to silence. The one who in a twinkling of an eye could speak thousands of planets into existence and hell for his enemies gave that power up to be human and crucified. This was it. Jesus chose, chose to serve. So this path for our unity, this, this service life, it looks like saying no to ourselves so that we can say yes to what God has called us to saying no, no to using our work and influence to getting more influence or more comfort, but saying yes to blessing others, saying no to using our wealth for more and more comfort, but using it to comfort others, 
saying no to using our class, our race, or gender for favor of ourselves, but for the rights and privileges of flourishing others. Saying no to doing what we think others need us to do and saying yes to just being open what they need and hearing what they might need from us and asking them what they need. Saying no to pretending we have it all together as I've shared. And I think about this time in history with the church, it's actually been brilliant how much um, access we've had to good teaching and to the gospel and to worship because we've had about a year where we could sit and get fed the word by just watching church online, right? And, and here, or even listening to other churches. Like we've, we could do this, we could do the Christian life kind of on our own almost now because it's all kind of really been easy to access. And the Christian life is we need the church. We need to be together. And we, we need it not just to be fed, but we need to be part of the body, to be the skin, the presence of one another to be together. And we've got to be willing to say yes to that, even when it might be hard. Like I was literally, like my wife is out of town right now. I was like, we need the body. We need the body. Let's go to church. We've got to do this. And it's hard, but this is part of what it means to live in unity. So it's a heavy burden to hear this, right? If we're honest, to hear this call to service to others and to saying no. And if I, if I said, amen, and let's pray right here, we'd all probably be crushed, <laughs> right? Thanks for that, Will, pep talk. Uh, that would kill us. So we need, we need power. We need the power for this. We need the grace for this. Where's that gonna come from? Where's the power for our unity? Over, over COVID, uh, we got a dog. Um, and I'll tell you what, I learned a ton about my parenting from having a dog. Um, our girls... I've learned uh, that they're going to repeat whatever I say to them to Charlie. Uh, I've heard things like, um, Charlie, put that down or it's going to be a major consequence. (laughs) Uh, And I'm sure I'm going to hear this sometime soon. Like, Charlie, I need your eyes right now. Charlie. And I've learned that they're going to treat Charlie the way I treat them. And that's just how, how we work, right? People that are loved are going to love others. I've heard it said, hurt people hurt, but also loved people will love. And so this is what Paul's getting at here. He starts the beginning of this uh, chapter, verse one. He says, if there's been any encouragement in Christ, any comfort in love, and he's calling them to think, right? He's not questioning if there's any comfort in Christ. The reality is true. There's comfort and encouragement in Christ, but he's calling them to think, have you experienced that? comfort in Christ? Have you experienced Christ himself? And so we're going to look at a couple of things like to this, this power for unity comes with an experience of Christ. And it's three things that I'm trying to pick out in this passage that I see. And it's Christ for you, Christ in you, and Christ before you. And the first one is Christ for you. And this is verse one. If there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort and love, He's saying, have you, have you experienced Christ's comfort for you? Like to you, through his life and death. Do you know his love for you? Have you experienced his encouragement? And if this is the case, Paul's saying, reflect on it. Meditate on it. Don't forget about it. Remember, like the, the song we just sang, you know, like remember what he's done to you, for you. And from that, we will live a life of love. And if that's hard for you, if you're in a place where like, it feels like something up here, but not down here, I'd encourage you to re- pray and reflect on this. Remember 
and ask God to show you. This is actually, honestly, this is where I'm stuck right now. Um, I was telling somebody the other day, I like, I know God loves me and I know he's there for me. And uh, I'm just having a real block personally right now with trusting that he loves me. Like, I know that he's loving, but it doesn't feel true to me right now. And so I was telling somebody this the other day, and he, uh, it was Bill Delvo, and he's like, well, I just, just pray and ask God to show you his love for you. And it's like, all right, I think there's a block there. I don't know what that is. Like, I got to pray about that. So right now I'm praying that God would show me what it is blocking me from experiencing his love, because there's something going on. I think it's busyness. I don't know. But if this is where you are, ask God to show you what's blocking you from it, and he will. I'm trusting he will for me. Um, there's been a great resource that I found recently. Um, it's called reflectiveprayer.com. I'm trying to be real practical for y'all. What can you do to really begin to experience this? Uh, it's been a really helpful. It's a meditation uh, that's guided, that's free online, reflectiveprayer.com, where you listen to uh, somebody guiding you through prayer, and then it just takes a simple truth about God or who you are in Christ and invites you to reflect on it. So if you want something practical to do, try that. It's been helpful for me. Um, So Christ for you, but also Christ in you is where this power comes from. And this is verse five. Uh, This mind is yours in Christ. Do you have any, in verse one says, any participation in the spirit? This is, we can have this unity together. We can be selfless because we have the spirit. That's not a small thing. Like the spirit of Christ, the one, the same one that empowered Jesus to be faithful in the desert, right? To say no to himself for the glory, for, to give himself for others. That same in spirit lives, if you're trusting in Christ, it lives in you and will empower you to live selflessly, to give yourself for others. You just have to ask for it. And it's already yours. It's already yours. Um, and he will do that. So ask for the spirit. That I was thinking about this and really trying to wrestle with this. And I was like, mm, I'm struggling with this. And I thought about the disciples. And Jesus said to the disciples, because they were getting sad when Jesus would tell them he's leaving. You know, they'd be like, he could see, it says sorrow filled their hearts. And he said to them, hey guys, listen, I'm leaving, right? I know it's so great to have me, like, and I'm thinking, yeah, like, I'm so jealous of the disciples. They get to be with Jesus. That's not fair, like, no wonder they could be selfless. They had Jesus right there, and they could be together. But, uh, and they still really struggled. Um, but Jesus says to them, he says, you know what? It is better. It is better for me to leave. Because when I leave, you're going to get my spirit. And my spirit is going to declare to you in your heart everything that is true about you and me. It's going to guide you in all truth. So do you know that you have the spirit? to guide you to our truth, to guide you, to bite you, to take that risk, to trust him, to take care of you when you're saying no to yourself. It's the power that we need. You just have to ask. Last thing, Christ is before you. This is kind of the meat of this passage. This is verses nine through 11. Um, John Piper, when he talks about this passage, says, he explains it here. He's like, Paul doesn't try to get into some fancy argument to help people see uh, how to change. He, instead, he uses God talk. And the goal in giving us this amazing Christ hymn is that we behold and worship Christ. In this, we begin to change. And what he's doing is feels like such a judo move, right? It's like, it's like 
hey, instead of like telling you how to like go die and to go be unified, he's like, I'm just gonna tell you how to not think about you, right? I'm gonna give you an image of how amazing and awesome and glorious Jesus is. And that's what this passage is about. So he's like, verses nine through 11, I'll just read it again because it's awesome. He says, therefore God was highly exalted in him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God, the father. The image that comes up for me, and I think the one that really gets me in this is so that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. So I'm picturing every knee in the, in the world would, will actually someday bow. Like I'm talking everywhere in all of the world and every knee's gonna bow someday. And every tongue is going to confess that Jesus is the Lord of all. And not just on the earth, but actually in heaven. So everybody that's lived in the past in heaven will be there and everyone under the earth. That's everything. Everybody that's lived and died, every being, every spiritual being will submit to the glory of the king who reigns. We'll be blown away. It's like the whole entire world in history seeing Handel's Messiah. Like it's gonna be incredible. And the more we meditate on this, the more that we see his glory and giving himself so that he will be glorified, it will change our hearts. That's what Paul's calling us to see. It's what he says in 1 Corinthians 3, 18. He says, and we all with unveiled faces beholding the glory are gonna be transformed when we see his glory to the same image. He's alluring us towards humility through worship. He's trying to show us, not tell us how to change. Because humility is not thinking less of yourselves. It's just thinking less about yourself, Right? We can't get humility, and this is convicting, by trying to think less of ourselves. But it's gonna come by through focusing on Jesus, by trying to figure it out, but just try to meditate. So when you're stuck in this kind of place, just open up the Psalms and meditate on who he is, and he will meet you there, and we'll see him there. So as we're asking the Lord to show us how to be one in the church, how to be unified, it comes through selflessness, right? So we need to pray for an all of Jesus through singing, through worship, through talking about him, through gratitude. If you get stuck in this, like just invite Jesus to show you where he's blessed you today. It's not to look in, but it's to look up. And by doing this, we'll actually draw together. Uh, There's an image, I think, and I give this to couples a lot when we're doing couples therapy, because early on, you know, when you first meet somebody you love, you're like, I'm all about you, whatever you want, I love you, right? Which is awesome and exciting, right? And you just get focused on the other. And it's great, but what happens if you continue to make it all about the other, you end up going towards each other, but you kind of miss, right? Or you can get really enmeshed and that's no good, right? Where you kind of lose yourself. But real, where real unity comes is when we're focused on something bigger than ourselves together when we're going towards something greater than us, we'll get closer and closer to one another and to God. That's where unity starts, just that focus onto him. And by doing that, it'll bring rest. It'll bring peace to our hearts by getting our eyes off ourselves and focusing it on him. 
So how do we do this? Let's, we're going to do this right now. We're going to move into this together, this focus onto Jesus and what he's done for us so that we can begin to live this life of selflessness. And that's where the table comes. That's where we get to do this together. And we get to see and taste. Uh, this is the gospel in 3D. This is uh, in, where it becomes less about an idea, but more about when I, when I eat this bread and drink this cup, I'm proclaiming Christ's death and that I'm not only uh, knowing that happened for me, but that is also Christ in me. So when, when you take the bread, you're taking it in, acknowledging that you are united in Christ, that his body is now your body, that you're one with him, and that his blood was given for you. And that's why we come to the table, and that's why we do this every week, to really encourage our hearts with faith. So if that's where your heart is today, where you need to be encouraged to know God's love for you, come and take these elements and nourish your hearts with the faith and the truth of God's love for you. And if that's not where you are, right? Like if you're in a place where you're not looking to Christ, right? To trust in him for, for your life, for your death, for your hope. This is a chance just to reflect, right? To invite you to just stay here in your seat and think, okay, where, where am I gonna find life? If, and is, this, is Jesus's words true for me? Can they be true for me? And to really wrestle with that. If that's where you are and you're not sure this is for you, I would love to talk to you. Um, please come talk to me. I know your elders here would love to talk, Cullen or Aaron or any of them or Eric. Um, they would love to talk with you and help you understand and pray for you, whatever you need, because this is Christ's body for you and given for you. Because it was on the night that Jesus was betrayed. He took the bread and he broke it and said, this is my body given for you. Take and eat. And in the same manner after supper, he took the cup. It said, this cup is the new covenant, my body, poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Take and drink. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes again. Let's pray together. Jesus, uh, we need your spirit to come and nourish our hearts through this sacrament that you've set apart for us. And we thank you for it. Lord, as we take this together, would you nourish our hearts with faith? But also, Lord, we don't just take this as individuals. We all take from the same body and from the same cup. So would you unite us together as believers, as a part of your body, and draw us together through this? We love you and pray this in Christ's name. Amen.